One of the things is that one of our themes in our, and the, that we've been talking about in the last five years is really the gospel, being really planted in the gospel, allowing God to plant us in that work which he has done for us that we proclaim through communion. And so the gospel work in, in our lives, in our relationships, and it really affects every aspect of what we do and who we are. We are in Christ Jesus. And because of the gospel, and with, with the wrong view of the gospel, it creates wrong relationships. It creates wrong everything in our life. A wrong view of things. And so we've really put an emphasis on that. And, and now we're in the book of Romans, and we've just finished on hearing about God's wrath and God's judgment and, and how everyone is under God's judgment. Every argument that we can think of, Paul has addressed in Romans. And now we're going to take a break and go back and go, what are we going to be looking at for the next five to ten years? And that is, because of the gospel and being planted by God in God's work through the gospel, his work, what are we, who are we supposed to be? And are we a fruit-bearing uh, family? Are we a fruit-bearing body of Christ? Are we bearing his fruit? And that's a good question. And so we're looking at, uh, periodically as we take breaks from Romans, we're going to be looking at the principles of bearing fruit. And one of the things is, is how do we bear fruit when life is hard? When it's difficult, when we're under persecution, when we're under trials, just like in James chapter 1, when it says, count it joy. I read that verse and I can't help but I laugh every time I read that verse or I quote it because I've memorized at one point in my life the whole book of James so I could win camp. Uh, I was a camp counselor and I said, if we memorize the whole book of James, I guarantee we'll win. So we did as a whole cabin, we memorized the whole book of James. And for some reason, I only memorized like the first nine verses now. I can only remember. But, you know, as we look at that verse, I laugh because who counts it joy? Who thinks, yes, I'm excited. I'm under pressure on the world. Think toothpaste, right? I told the guys yesterday when we were doing devotions for uh, our Bible quizzing meet, as the idea of being uh, in trials is, is like the pressure that you put on toothpaste for stuff to come out. The more pressure, the more toothpaste comes out. And if you slip, oops, it all comes out, right? You don't want to step on it if you drop it, right? Have you ever done that? Um, you have clean floors afterwards, right? But that's the idea of being un in trials is that we're under this immense pressure. And you say, pastor, I just find this hard. How do I bear fruit? And that's one of the principles that we want to look at this morning. It's the struggles to bear fruit in difficult times. And that's, that's a, a, a reality. And God bears fruit in our life. God desires to work in our life and bear much fruit. It glorifies the Lord. That's the goal of our life. But we have this problem of two opposing viewpoints. Two opposing attitudes, two desires, two focuses, two different competing drives, and they're going in the opposite direction. 
Have you ever had somebody play tug of war and you have two opposing teams and they're two up going in two opposing directions? I was working at camp and I had this bright idea. Instead of doing tug of war, let's do tug of war with people. And I called it pulling them apart. And I thought I invented this game. And, and I, I actually read a book from the 1940s and there, the same game was in the book. And I was like, are you kidding me? There truly is nothing new under the sun. But we put guys in a big old pile in the middle of the field, and we had the guys just yanking on, or the girls running in and yanking on them by their legs and their arms. Surprisingly, there was no dislocations in that game. And they would carry the guys, and teams that carried the most guys to their side, they'd win. But it was the, great, the great was the last guy. The last two guys, you don't want to be the last two guys because they would be literally yanking back and forth. And you would see the guys actually start to help because they would get, it would hurt. And they would start going in the direction that they decided they wanted to go that hurt less. And they would go and they would just start going that direction. That's what, that's the struggle of bearing fruit in difficult times because we have two opposing factors. We have our flesh and the sin of our life that we've just been talking about in Romans. And it's going in this completely opposite direction that God wants us to go. God says, I want you to trust me. I want you to go with me. And there's these two directions. The life in the spirit and the life in the flesh of sin in the culture of this world. And uh, James called it the double-minded man. You see, when, when we don't trust God, when we say, God, I know your word, but I'm not going to use it. I don't really, I'm, I'm going to go do these other things, these other desires, and I'm going to follow these things. And I know your word, and I know that you died for me. I know that you saved me, but I'm going to do these this other things. And, it were, and sometimes it's difficult to follow God. And we say, you know, it's hard to go this way. And the world is pulling me this way. And my sin says, this is easy. And so I'm just going to go this direction. James says the one that does that and, and doubts God's word is unstable, double-minded. The Greek word is where we get schizophrenic. Two opposing factors going in different directions. God says that you can't do that in life. It's unstable. You're not going to get anywhere. And that's the idea that we have in Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. Our text is verses 5 through 10. Would you pray as we prepare to read God's holy word? God, your word is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, it does surgery. It does surgery in our hearts. It does surgery to pull our body back together. Relationships, specifically first, our relationship with you, that we would let go of the world and run to you, our Father, who loved us enough to, to send his Son to die in our place, to take our punishment. The Father that is above all, the creator, the Lord of everything. Lord, 
What a privilege to be counted as a part of your family. I pray, Lord, that we would see that we simply need to stop pulling or being pulled and just submit to you. May that be the joy of our heart this morning. May we grow in appreciation for the work that you've done and what you provide through Christ. Lord, give us a great opportunity as we read your word to proclaim it, to know it, to rejoice in your work. Thank you for the living word. May we rejoice now as we read it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 17, of course, Jeremiah is in a time when he's called the weeping prophet because he said, go tell the nation of Israel my word. It's a word that the wrath of God is going to be poured out on judgment because you're worshiping all of these idols, Israel. You know the truth, but you've turned your back on God. You've given yourself to the culture around you, and you love it. You love it, and you've you stopped loving me. That's God's indictment on Israel. He, in Joshua 17, is a series of sin on Israel, and, but by virtue of God's word, it's an example for us in looking at how we live our life amongst cultures that hate God. It's a great example for us on how to endure and how to bear fruit in the midst of difficulty. Jeremiah 17, verse 5, it'll sound very familiar. It piggybacks with Psalm 1. In verse 5, God says this. He says, thus says the Lord Yahweh. He says, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. And he will be like a juniper in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will dwell in stony waste in the desert and the land of salt in which is inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is God. And he will be like a tree planted by the water that sends forth its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor refrain from yielding fruit. The heart is more deceitful than all else and it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, Search the heart. I test the innermost being, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Jeremiah 17, we see that the sin, in fact, in verses 1 through 2, we see that Israel's sin has been engraved on their heart. It's impressed. It's been engraven and chiseled into their heart the weight of their sin, they cannot escape it. It's not something that they can just say, oh yeah, we can ignore it. It is there and it's for all to see. It's like a monument. It's heavy. And he's condemning them and he's saying, look, 
you have turned away, you have, you have built these high places, you've worshipped God, or these little gods in the mountains, and you have turned your back on me. They've basically lost the tug of war, and they started running towards the sinfulness of their flesh. And we get to verse 5, and we see this great struggle it's the struggle of mankind versus God. And he starts out with saying, Cursed is the, if, in the one who trusts in mankind. If you trust in man, you will be powerless, he says. Cursed really has this great idea uh, of being blind. The man will be blind. If you trust in mankind, it's going to be blinded life. It's going to be a life filled with blindness it's going to be life filled with obstacles. A cursed man, the word cursed also has the idea of having obstacles in your life. They also use that word to talk about that your life would be rendered powerless to resist temptation or powerless to just live a fruitful life. You're not going to have power and fulfillment in your life, but a life that's filled with less power. So he's talking about there in verse, verse 5. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. In, in verse 5, we see the definition of what does it mean to trust in man. He says there in the next, in the next phrase of verse 5, he says, and makes flesh his strength. Trusting in man is relying on the flesh. The man, a man will say, the mankind says, I'm going to trust in my strength. And we know that the more we trust in our strength, the more tired we get. And the reality is, is we come to the end and we say, well, I really have no power in life. Judah and, and Israel often trusted in Mankind. They trusted in Egypt. They trusted in Babylon. Other powers. But they, and they stopped trusting God. Jeremiah told them, if you do this and turn to God, he will listen to you. But they turned to Egypt and they believed that if they just sent lots of treasure to Babylon, that they wouldn't conquer them. But God said he would send Babylon for, because of their sin. Man in all of his power and glory is but frail flesh is the idea. A man who trusts in mankind and trusts in man is powerless because his strength is very limited. People can't be trusted. People are sinners. People struggle. When we trust in our own strength, we really are weak. The second thing it describes in the end of the verse is you can't trust mankind because your heart will turn away from the Lord. When you trust in mankind, you rely on man's strength, which is very limiting. But also in that process, your heart literally turns and faces another. Rather than in rejoicing in the power of the cross, you begin to rejoice in the power of mankind. It's amazing. Jeremiah spoke to Israel about this from the Lord in verse two, uh, 13 of chapter 2. He says this, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, they have turned from me, the fountain of living waters, and hewned out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can handle no water. Israel would dig these big, huge, deep 
pits to collect all the rain. And the more cisterns they had, the more rain that they had, the more that they could grow, the more life that they had around them, food and living plants. And God says, but they would always break and they would have to constantly be repaired. And that's the idea here is, is that, that these cisterns that they've hewn out are broken vessels. Turn, trusting in anyone or anything else is nothing less than, than idolatry. It's, it's idolizing something other than the Lord, which violates the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength so you can love your neighbor. Here's the result that we see of trusting in mankind. So we see what trusting in man looks like as someone who relies on their own strength and somebody who really turns away from God. Verse 6, we see the result of wrongly placed trust leads to nothing good and a very dry, parched, unfulfilled life. The result is wrongly placed trust. It's interesting in verse 6, he says here that he will be like a juniper in the desert. He will not see when prosperity comes. He Basically, it says he can see no good thing. The idea here of prosperity, he doesn't see any prosperity or any good thing. It's good or prosperity is moral goodness. It means that he will, have, he will be inept in seeing anything really good. He can't do or see, perceive, or do anything that's morally right in God's eyes. Basically, God is saying you'll be desolate and hopeless. It, like Israel, who is prone to trust in man instead of God, we likewise fall into the same traps. We struggle with this. Because we struggle with our trust in our life and who we trust, it, that also helps, you know, it's the struggle that we have to bear, really bear fruit. You can try to produce fruit in trusting yourself to do it or trusting in mankind to do it, but it doesn't produce a flourishing tree of ripe, luscious fruit, leafy tree. Instead, it's this juniper bush. How many have ever played around with a juniper bush? In Klamath Falls, uh, you know, last year we went and helped Anissa's uh, grandmother uh, with her property. And man, I'm telling you, it, those juniper bushes, they hurt. They cut us. They, they hurt us. They stabbed us. They, they trying to pull them out. I had an excavator and it was struggling to pull it out. And it, they were just dry bushes that just just are worthless, except they provide shade for the quail and grandpa's quail. And he would shoot cats that would come to hunt his quail. <laughs> That's about all they were good for. But they were dry, and they really couldn't use them for anything. That's what he's describing. The result of wrongly placed trust is nothing good, and it's very dry, a dry life with the world's culture. When we trust in man, the result is our life in the world and the culture that surround us, whether it's government, whether it's family, whether it's friendships, we become codependent on things and it's dry, meaningless. 
We, we, we rely on employers or economists or doctors or athletes or we put our faith or trust in lots of different things. And our life is hollow and it's dry. We can't trust ourselves. Did you remember verse 10? Our hearts are, deceit, are, are untrustworthy. They're deceitful. They're wicked. Why trust in yourself? Why not try, trust in the one who died for your heart? Proverbs 28 says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Why? Because we can't trust ourselves. God doesn't want us. He didn't didn't save us to be self-reliant. He saved us to be God-reliant. Every Christian can be guilty of an idea of false perfectionism. I'm going to do everything right. Paul fit that model in in Philippians chapter 3. Tried to do everything right religiously, in the culture, in the world, relationally. And yet he fell flat on his face when he met Christ. Nothing compares to Christ. He said in Philippians 3.12, he says, not that I already attained this or already am perfect, but he's like, look, now that he is running to Christ, now that he's trusting Christ, he says, I'm not good. I need Christ. But I press on to make it my own, the relationship with Christ, to know Christ because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Look at the result. We have a dry human relationship. But look at trusting God will lead to true fulfillment. He gives us the idea here. It says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is Yahweh. He repeats himself twice. Isaiah 26 says, he keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. The idea is to entrust him with our life. To entrust, to entrust, not to just trust, but to entrust and say, here's my life. To present our life as a living sacrifice. To be able to trust him. The idea that surrounds that idea is to trust him in every circumstance. To trust that his way is best. He knows. He's above all things. I don't have to fight against him or anything else because I trust. I'm entrusting myself to him. Trust that his plan is best. This is a complete contrast a false trust versus a rightly placed trust, a trust that is enduring, that lasts for eternity, that gives us complete peace because of who he is, his holiness. Look at the result in entrusting yourself to the Lord. The result of rightly placed trust leads you to a fruit-bearing life. How do we bear fruit in difficult times? It's a matter of trust. Simply, who are you entrusting yourself to? Trusting the Lord, Jeremiah is describing, in order to bear fruit, he's describing that it's who you entrust yourself to. 
It's not a matter of just I believe. It's who do you give yourself to? By the way, the difference of verse 8 in Jeremiah 17, where it says he will be plant like a tree planted by the water that sends forth its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, when the drought comes, when the stream dries up on the surface. <gasps> what do we do? We can't fish. Oh my. Right? I hate it when the stream, when the droughts come, right? We go. Actually, it's, it's nice when we go fishing at Camp Gilead and it dries, or uh, Ethan and I, when we go fishing at our camping at Detroit Lake and it would dry up from a huge reservoir lake to this little stream, all the fish were condensed. It was like, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. But here's the thing. What do we do when it all dries up? What do we do? How do we keep, we, I can't do anything. Life is hard. Life is difficult. It all it matters is who is your life entrusted to. The difference here in verse 8 in Psalm, in Psalm 1, verse 3, is that the psalmist verse describes a tree that is watered daily. But Jeremiah is describing a tree that expects water, and even when it doesn't get it on the surface, it's okay because its roots have deep-rooted roots deep down into a living spring. That even though it's dry outside, even though the heat is on the tree, and even though it's hard and, it, and everything is withering around you, doesn't that sound like difficult times? Heat, no water. The heat is nice. No water is not so good, Right? But the tree that's entrusted to Christ has deep roots. God makes our roots to grow deep into him, to the springs of living water, as it says in Psalm 46. And this is the idea here, is, is you will have deep roots in the Lord. When you entrust yourself to the Lord, you have deep roots. Your security will be un unshakable. Those deep roots will keep it. Right? Have you seen our trees out here when there's a single tree and the, our windstorms come and you find out that it really didn't have very deep roots? What happens? It falls. it falls. Even some of our telephone poles. Have you noticed when they didn't place it right? I love it when I watch them placing it right next to a ditch and then they go dig that ditch out. And I'm like, this is not wise. They're exposing the base of the telephone pole the very next windstorm, guess what? All, in, all of them last year on Mountain View, like four of them were all right on the, down. When your roots aren't deep, if you're entrusting yourself to man, your, your roots are going to be superficial. And when everything dries up on the surface and the heat comes, you're going to wither, you're going to shrink like a raisin. It's not a good thing even though I like the way they taste. I like smoked, dry things. Right? Good, good smoky meat. And raisins, too. <laughs> Your security will be unshaken. When hard times come, you will endure because of the deep roots that God causes to grow in you. 
when you entrust yourself to him. In the end, Isaiah 58, 11, towards the end of Isaiah, he said to Israel, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose water do not fail. Those of us that entrust ourselves to the Lord, that's what our life will be like. You will continue to bear fruit for God's glory. So the real question is this. You must choose whom you will trust. Who are you going to endear your life to? That's what entrusting means. Who are you going to run to? You have these two opposing attitudes, desires, focal points. The world, everything in the world that's dying, that's passing away, it's dying right before our eyes. Or the Lord who is eternal, everlasting, your strength, your life, your spring of refreshing water. Christ is the source of that living water. Christ is your everything. He is the spring. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He called himself the water. He called himself the truth. He called himself the life. He called himself the word. He's the living word. If Christ isn't the source of your life, it's going to be hard to, you can't bear fruit because it's God that bears through fruit through you, especially in difficult times. Is your stability controlled by people or the Lord? If you're not stable, if you're struggling right now and things around you in your life, it's not, there's a difference between things are hard in your life and your life is falling apart. When hard times come, when the droughts and the heat come, God will sustain you. If your life is entrusted to him, he will sustain you because he is the Lord who sustains all things. He is the life Who are you trusting? If you're trusting in yourself and you've never ever turned from yourself and endeared yourself to him and said, Lord, I am a sinner. I have no hope. I can never pay. I can never do anything good. I can never pay for my sin. Endear yourself to him. Turn to him and trust in him and let him save you. Cry out to him. He, Jesus died. He lived a perfect life. He was the righteousness that we could never be to satisfy all of God's wrath on sin. And he took all of that sin to the cross. And he did that to die, to pay for our sin, the penalty, the wages of sin is death. And he paid for that. So then that way we, he would die and then he'd rise again because he conquered death because he is holy and right and true. And he is alive. And he did that work as a gift to offer it to you.
Will you entrust yourself to him and receive the work that he did for you to save you? If you've never done that, I encourage you as we prepare to worship this morning one last time to say, well, to continue to worship because we'll worship somebody or Christ as you leave these doors. As we continue to worship, would you endear yourself to Christ and his work for the payment for your sin and be saved from your sin and stop entrusting your life to a dying world? Maybe you are saved and you know what it means to be saved and you have a relationship with Christ and you have a relationship with God and you're struggling because you've fallen trap and in the snare of the evil one. Let us that are here encourage you and help you. Don't keep your struggles quiet. Many know in our church family, as you've come and talked about your struggles, you've received comfort and encouragement through whether it's sin and struggles and you have received the might of God's family to pick and lift you up and carry you by a loving Holy Spirit. Stop entrusting yourself to dead things and entrust yourself to the living water in Christ and be refreshed once again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is so refreshing. It's so true. It is a foundation. It is solid. It's everything that we need for our entire life in all the physical things that we'll ever meet, and even for all the things our soul will ever endure. It is the living springs of living water that refreshes and nourishes. May we be a church that has great leaves, that is bearing fruit for your glory, and seeing people saved and just souls cared for that your, your body would, your, their, your body here, your church family would have their souls nourished by your living word. Lord, may we be a church that does that and bears much fruit for your glory because of the work that you want to do through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.